Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. Walk on over to Walters for Game 2 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Puck drops at 8 p.m. on Saturday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Schwarber hits a towering drive to right center. Forget about it. Thomas going back, looking up at the wall, and it's long gone. Home run number 17 for the former national Kyle Schwarber, who seems to love to hit in this ballpark in the month of June. And the Phillies take advantage of the error and lead it 2-0. 3-1. Swing a ground ball right side. Bell ranges far to get it. Overhand toss to Corbin. It's thrown away. And it hits the screen in front of the dugout. Stays in play. Gregorius will score. Ball aboard at first. As Bell could not lead Corbin to the bag with an accurate throw. And it is 7-0. And it just won't end this inning. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, June 17th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, Juan Soto was back on Thursday night, and Josh Bell hit a home run on Thursday night, and the Nats had two triples on Thursday night, so all of that did happen. Kate Cavalli pitched on Thursday night, actually did pretty well, so that happened, but what also happened was another Nationals blowout loss, another embarrassing Nationals loss, a fourth consecutive ripping of the Nats in a fifth consecutive loss, this a 10-1 thrashing at the hands of the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park in game one of a five-game series. The Nats are not off to a good start in their June NLDS against the Phils. The Nats now have been outscored over the course of this five-game losing streak 41-13. Yeah, 28 runs the Nats have been outscored by over the course of this five-game losing streak. The Nats have by far the worst run differential in the majors at minus 111. The Nats have the worst record in the National League at 23-43 and as the Nats now are 20 games below 500. Mark, we never on this podcast say that we've hit rock bottom because this season with this team, we don't know quite where rock bottom might be. And uh, you could argue a new low has been reached with what happened with the Nats on Thursday night. Yeah. And I think, as we said at the start of the week, this could get 
pretty rough, and so I'm not going to declare anything rock bottom, certainly not until we get to Sunday afternoon because there's a lot more baseball to play against the Phillies. Unfortunately, a lot of baseball in a short amount of time, and the lack of competitiveness right now against some of their superior division foes is really striking to me. This is 10 straight losses against NL East teams, and they've been outscored by 62 runs in those games. They're losing games by an average of 6.2 runs. These are non-competitive games. They're usually over by the fourth or fifth inning. It's really hard to watch. It's really hard for them to keep yourself going. And, you know, you hate to say it, but I think they're human. You have to understand why this is the case. The last three innings of this game, it felt like they were just going through the motions, trying to get it over with. They know they got to get back early in the morning for a doubleheader. This game was long since lost. It's a hard thing to watch. That's not what you want to see. But you can understand their human beings why that might be the case. You know, the Nats were a really good team from 2012 through 2019, as we know. But one of the things that was also true during that stretch is that the National League East was not very good. The division has changed. The division has become good. You have three teams right now in the five-team NL East, each with a winning record. You have four of the five teams in the division with positive run differentials. Uh, this is not, say, your 2017 NL East when the Nats won the division going away and every other team in the division was sub-500. This is a big boy division again. And so if you're bad, you get exposed and you're made to look worse in a lot of ways. And that's what's happening here with the Nats. You know, what you just mentioned, them having lost 10 consecutive games in games against NL East teams, that stands out. And this is no longer some patsy division. This is no longer the NL East. You know, like this is a division with multiple good teams now. And the Nats have gotten worked over these last few weeks. You go back to that three-game sweep at the Mets. This week's three-game sweep at Nationals Park to the Braves. And who knows what's going to happen over the course of this five-game series against the Phillies. I mean, look, a five-game sweep is not out of the question. I don't think that's going to happen. But would anyone be stunned if that happened? The Phillies are destroying teams right now. The Phillies have won 12 of 14 games for all of the Phillies' problems. And they have many, or at least they have had many. This team is pounding people right now. And, of course, the Nats got pounded on Thursday night. They're hitting as well as the Braves, so that tells you, first of all. The only difference between them and the Braves is that their relief pitching and their defense is pretty atrocious. And so, you know, if you're the Nationals, you're basically saying, we got to try to keep these games close because late we might actually have a chance. Our A bullpen versus their A bullpen, if you can play clean baseball, make them make some mistakes. The problem is when you dig yourself into a 10-to-1 hole – you know, there's no hope of ever getting to that point. And that's the problem right now. It's it's ugly. And that third inning of this game, I mean, it doesn't get worse than what we saw there, both from a defensive standpoint that allowed the inning to continue, but then also from a pitching standpoint, because the Phillies were having their way with Patrick Corbin and the Nationals. And that's the thing. You know, Patrick Corbin's final line for this game is nine runs, two earned in three and a third innings, which is one of the more unique final pitching lines I think that I've ever seen. And Davey Martinez, one of the first things he said during his postgame press conference was, you know, you know, Patrick today didn't deserve, didn't deserve that. Davey's not wrong in saying that, but I think it is ridiculous that Patrick Corbin was only charged with two earned runs in this game on Thursday night. This is one of these official scoring things in baseball that really should not be. If you watch this game, he in no way pitched to the tune of two earned runs in three into third innings. 
he got worked once again in this game. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly how you would alter the scoring rules, but I know that what happened on Thursday night in terms of how Patrick Corbin's runs allowed were accounted for went down. That's not right. That is not an accurate depiction of what happened in this game. That third inning was amateur hour. The Nats allowed the Phillies in the third to score seven runs. And you know what's so funny about Corbin is that he got off to such a good start in this game. Perfect first inning, perfect second inning. You're saying to yourself, wow, this is actually quite nice. And then came the third inning. Now, the third inning was bizarre in and of itself. Corbin retired each of the Phillies' first two batters. Then came a fielding error from Cesar Hernandez. Here's the pitch. And Munoz hits a ground ball to the second baseman Hernandez, but he can't handle a tough in-between hop. And the ball ends up out in center field. So that ball skipped off the mound. And Hernandez tried to field it off his glove side, but I don't even know if he got a glove on it with that tough in-between hop. The first of two Nats errors in the inning. The first of, by my count, four defensive miscues by the Nats in the inning. And, you know, the error by Hernandez, I mean, it was not an easy play. He misplayed a tough two-out first-pitch grounder by Jairo Munoz. The ball went off the mound and then by Hernandez. Not an easy play to make. Probably a play should have made. But, okay, it's a forgivable error. And then Corbin just fell apart. Corbin ended up giving up a homer, two doubles, three singles, and a walk. And in the mix there, too, was a Josh Bell throwing error. So, okay, a bunch of unearned runs for Corbin in that inning. You tell me, did he pitch so well to where he only should have had two earned runs uh, for the game in the night and all seven of the runs in the inning being unearned? That, to me, was ridiculous. Well, see, Al, here's what you have to understand. If Cesar Hernandez makes that play and the inning is over, and now we move on to the fourth— Corbin isn't going to give up all those hits to those same hitters in the fourth inning. He's going to retire them all in order. You know, he's going to cruise for the rest of the day. No, of course not. He is responsible for the hits that he gives up. And you're right. I thought he looked so good there up to that point. I legitimately, you know what he was doing is he was throwing his change up really effectively for outs, getting strikeouts, getting swings and misses on it. And they talked to him so much about this. Now, he said after the game that it was more a matter of scouting and knowing that the Phillies, some of their hitters in particular, were more susceptible to change up than the slider. And so that's why he threw more of them. He didn't feel like that's necessarily a reason to say he's going to start throwing it more to other teams and other lineups. But, I mean, if you have an effective pitch that's working for you and it's something different than what he's done for the last couple of years that hasn't worked, ride it until it doesn't work, you know? <laughs> Throw that pitch more. I really liked what I saw. And then as soon as the air happens, and as soon as old Kyle Schwarber steps to the plate at Nationals Park in June, and you know what's going to happen then, it just fell apart in an ugly manner. And I'll even say the other thing, one of the airs, the Josh Bell throwing air that allowed the inning to continue going on, Corbin was late to cover. Now, Bell took the blame for it. He said he let him, you know, he threw the ball too far in front of him and didn't realize they had as much time as they did to get the out. But Corbin was late to break to first, and that kind of set the play off on a bad note to begin with. So he's as culpable also for some of the defensive stuff, uh, not just the pitching. It is amazing with Kyle Schwarber. So Corbin in this game gave up two homers. Both were by Kyle Schwarber. Two more Kyle Schwarber home runs in the month of June at Nationals Park. And these were two moonshots on Thursday night. Uh, Schwarber in that seven-run third, a two-out, two-run homer to center field, 424 feet per stat cast. And then Schwarber smashed a uh, leadoff homer to right center on a 1-2 pitch in a two-run 
fourth inning for the Phillies, 415 feet per stat cast. But with the defensive miscues in the inning, so you had the Cesar Hernandez error, you had the Josh Bell throwing error that you just outlined, you had this, so a two-out RBI infield single by JT Real Muto for a 4-0 Phillies lead. Luis Garcia, a weak one-hop throw from the shallow left field grass to first base. The 1-0 pitch. Swinging a chopper to left side, backing up on it, Garcia. He's going to have to throw to first. A one-bouncer dug out by Bell. Not in time. Again, not an easy play, but, you know, it's a kind of thing that you'd like to see be made, wasn't made. We also had this. Uh, there was a two-out RBI single by Nick Castellanos for a 3-0 lead. Our starting Nationals left fielder on Thursday night was the reliever later in the game, A. Ray Adrianza. He dropped the baseball on the exchange from his glove to his hand and throwing the ball back into the infield, preventing him from trying to throw out Bryce Harper at third base. I don't know if Adrianza would have gotten Harper out at third base, but I don't know, just the optics of that. It was just like, man, this is a clown show, what we're seeing here in this inning defensively for the Nats. Know this, the Nats entered Thursday dead last in the majors in team defensive runs saved at minus 33. The Phillies, by the way, were next to last at minus 26. These are the two worst defensive teams in the majors. But if it feels like the Nats are a bad defensive team, that's because they are a bad defensive team. And the metrics back that up. And that was really, really sloppy, that seven-run third inning. Yeah, let's talk about the Garcia play. It was very casual on his part, I think is the best way to describe it. It wasn't a super hard hit ball and he didn't charge it. He waited on it. And then he sat back and he kind of made a casual throw to first base that was late. Davey afterwards actually thought that the play was at second. Get the, it's, you know, third out of the inning. They've been trying to get the out forever and get out of that inning. And, um, if he had just done that, they would have been fine. So it's both a combination of not being aggressive and charging for that ball and then also not making the easier throw to get the last out. And these are the things you're going to have with Luis Garcia. At least in those cases, I'll say, okay, we understand some of those things are going to happen. They're going to live with some mistakes as long as he is learning from them and in theory getting better. But when the veterans are making the mistakes, I think that's a little tougher to swallow. And we've talked about this before. It's not like they're losing because of the kids being exposed or learning on the job. There are a lot of experienced players out there not playing good baseball. And I'm not just talking about not hitting or not pitching. I mean, talking not playing good, clean baseball. That is troublesome. And, you know, Davey can talk about it all he wants, but it's not changing. And I don't know how you get that to change. These are guys who should know better. And you wonder if psychologically it's just wearing on them, all these losses. And again, they're down by so much so often. The numbers are over their last 17 games. This goes back to the series opener in New York on May 30th. They've trailed at some point by five or more runs 11 times in 17 games. They've trailed by seven or more runs seven times. And tonight they trailed by nine or more runs for the fourth time. You can't tell me that doesn't weigh on these guys' minds. Maybe the veterans, they start sleepwalking a little bit and they just don't have the same energy. Now, it's a manager's job to try to kick them in the butt and get them going again. But I do wonder if there's some of that going on. And for it being, you know, the middle of June, 66 games in, uh, that's a problem. You got you to gotta try to clean that up somehow, or this is going to be a long, long summer. Yeah, uh, it's already been a long season uh, in some ways. You know, I also think, too, 
these are just bad players. Like, these guys just aren't that good. I mean, there's a reason these guys were available. There's a reason these guys who Mike Rizzo signed this past offseason didn't cost all that much. These were not coveted players. You know, Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez and A. Ray Adrianza and bringing back Alcides Escobar. I mean, remember, Alcides Escobar re-signed with the team like five minutes after the season ended. He knew there wasn't a market for his services. He was like, you want me back? Okay, like, I'll come back. They're not good. This is not a good team. These are not good players. And if they had any kind of a true pipeline right now in terms of major league ready guys, I think you'd be seeing more young players. They don't have these players. You know, the fact that they're calling back up Yoan Adone so soon after having sent him down to start game one of the doubleheader on Friday tells you everything you need to know about the state of this organization right now. And it's tough. And, you know, I was thinking about this, too. So, like, you take a step back off some of the things we've been talking about. So, we've said it, like, ad nauseum this week. The Nats need length from their starting pitchers. And we said that going into these previous two games, the Wednesday night game and the Thursday night game. Well, what ended up happening in those two games? Eric Fetty on Wednesday night lasted for five and a third innings and threw 111 pitches over the five and a third innings. Patrick Corbin on Thursday night, even though he only gave up two earned runs, ended up lasting for three and a third innings. You needed length and you got the exact opposite of that. You know, the cliche phrase in sports is step up. These guys step down, you know, like when you need them to do more, they do less. You know, it's like they, it's almost like they go out of their way to do less. I mean, Corbin three and a third innings, really? That was the last thing that you needed on Thursday night. And yet that's exactly what you ended up getting. And because of it, they may have to make another move or two before Friday's game. In addition to Yoan Doan, who's going to be called up as the 27th man to start that first game, you may see some more shuffling of relievers so that they have a couple of fresh arms available for the 18 innings of baseball that are coming up in which you're sending in the first game a rookie with a 1-10 in record and 695 ERA to the mound in the opener. And then our guy, Paolo Espino, in the nightcap, who, God bless him, it probably in a best case scenario is only going five innings for you. They're going to need relief arms in the double header. And so they may have to bring up more. It just keeps compounding on itself each day throughout this homestand. You can go back to the rain delay and Josiah Gray getting bumped, Strasburg getting hurt, the short starts, the emergency starts, the extra pitches that Fetty and now Corbin throw. They can't get out of their own way. You feel like all it would take to just be one good quality start, somebody giving you seven innings on 105 pitches and it would reset everything and they'd be fine. They can't get it. They don't have the guys to do that. And this is where I do wonder about what's happened with Josiah Gray this week. I get what their thinking was. I respect what their thinking was. I do. But I don't know that this was the week to do what they've done, which is say, essentially, we'll skip a start. And, you know, he's not going to start now until what, Saturday, right? The, the Ryan Zimmerman game. I don't know that this was the week to do that. I mean, uh, you know, you picked a heck of a time to do that here with the state uh, of their pitching at the moment. So we mentioned that A. Ray Adrianza ended up pitching in this game. And what's so funny is he actually gave the Nats one of the more effective innings. He tossed a scoreless top of the ninth inning. But, you know, it's not funny anymore when the Nats have position players pitch. It was kind of cute and funny when Jordy Mercer did it last year. It's not funny anymore. They've done it a bunch of times now over the last two seasons. They did it earlier this season. And it's just kind of pathetic, to be honest with you, when, when they go out and do that. The bullpen on Thursday night, if you go just by the box score, one run in five and two-thirds innings. Andres Machado did allow an inherited runner to score, but actually the bullpen was all right. Machado, one and two-thirds scoreless. Erasmo Ramirez, scoreless top of the six. Reed Garrett gave up a run 
in two innings. But like you said, we could be having, you know, a horde of new Nats relievers coming up here sometime soon just to get uh, some more fresh arms. You know, Corbin's ERA went down, by the way, for the season. See, there you go. Progress. Things are looking up for Patrick Corbin. And the good news here, Adrianza only threw 12 pitches. I think he should be good to come back if they need him again on Friday. You know, I know you're kidding when you say that. The fact that he threw an effective inning, I wonder if it's in the back of Davies' mind. I could use this guy again. I mean, I'll say this about Adrianza. He is so versatile. He can play so many defensive positions. Now we know he can pitch. So I guess we shouldn't be that shocked that he pitched well on Thursday night. He's only appeared in seven games so far for the Nationals. He's already played four different positions, including pitcher. It's impressive. It's actually impressive. <laughs> like He does bring versatility to the table, so he does provide that. I don't know what else he provides, but uh, he does provide that. So I give him credit for that. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation offers 1,500 custom window combinations, including vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Swing a high drive, right center field, well struck. This one way back, it's got a chance, and it is gone. Josh Bell puts one over the National League out of town scoreboard, about five rows in. The Nats offense on Thursday night was bad and in no way was able to keep up with the Phillies. But it's kind of funny to me. The Nats only had five hits. They had four extra base hits. So what we've been begging for so often this season, the Nats actually provided in this game. The Nats had a homer, two triples, and a double. Although, if there's such a thing as a completely meaningless triple, you had like two meaningless triples in this game. They meant nothing. They led to nothing. But the Nats did have them. Uh, Cesar Hernandez had a two-out triple down the right field line into the right field corner in the bottom of the third. And Victor Robles came off the bench in the ninth inning, and he in what was just classic garbage time. Bottom of the ninth, one out, full count triple. Off the center field wall, hit the ball well. Uh, He was down in the count at 1.02. Actually, so too was Hernandez. So he had two triples. Josh Bell had a couple of hits, uh, including a solo homer, 417 feet for Stadcast, bottom of the fourth, a two-out full count solo homer to right center. He also had a single, and Nelson Cruz had a double in this game in the bottom of the second to begin that. But, you know, otherwise, the offense was doing really not much. You, you score just the one run, you work just the one walk, and you just felt overmatched. The Phillies can hit just like the Braves can hit. And you saw, two. it felt like very different lineups. It was good to have Juan Soto back, but he went hitless, and plenty of other Nats didn't do much on Thursday night either. Yeah. And so this is where, you know, it's hard for me, like, do I want to be critical of them for not hitting them? They're facing a very good pitcher in Zach Wheeler. But also, like I said earlier, you're down seven, nothing in the third inning. You're down nine, nothing going into the fourth. So like, can we really judge the offensive performance when you're trailing to that extent? It's hard to get anything going or feel that any of it can be meaningful when you're that far behind. It would be nice to see them in a close game, you know, by the time you get to the sixth, seventh inning and see, hey, can they put together some quality at bats and mount a real rally? And they just aren't even giving themselves a chance to do that. The games that they do hit, we've talked about this, they usually run away with it. There have been so few competitive games late that have turned on a big clutch hit from somebody. It's just never the situation they're in. And so I feel like it's getting harder and harder to evaluate them from an offensive standpoint because the game situations are not significant enough to really matter, it feels like. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. So specific to the Phillies, they have a recent history of gacking away leads and gacking away games. So when you're playing the Phillies, you really shouldn't stop trying because you never know with them. Their bullpen, their defense, like who knows? Now they're playing really well right now, but the last few years, I mean, one of the reasons Joe Girardi is no longer the manager is these bullpen problems for the Phillies, which have been going on forever. But, you know, for these guys, I mean, you know, I I think there's just an element here of pride of like, you know, baseball is a unique sport and that it's a team sport, but there's a lot of individualism in the sport. So if nothing else, it's like you should care about your statistics, you know, like, I mean, no no one's going to say that, but like you should care about how you do and you should care, you know, that you perform well. And look, for a lot of these guys, they're auditioning for jobs next year because they're not going to be back. A lot of these guys are not going to be back 
next season. Some are about to be traded away over the next few weeks, but the others are not being welcomed back with open arms next year. God, I hope not. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like you want to put good stuff on tape, I would feel like. But, you know, like you said, we're in June. This is not, these are not the dog days of August or September. There's a long way to go. There's almost still 100 games left for the Nats this season. They got to suck it up and figure this out. We're not, they're not canceling the rest of this season, okay? Like, <laughs> this season is happening. You know, I was thinking about this, too. I wondered if the Nats were really rooting for the rain on Thursday night because there was rain in the area. And especially when the Nats were down big early, I was saying to myself, boy, if you're Davey Martinez, would you not just want a rain-shortened game on Thursday night and just call it a day instead of having to play nine full innings with this? Like, that didn't do the Nats any good, having to play out a full nine-inning game on Thursday night. No, and they'll never, ever say it, but I do wonder if deep down some of them would not be opposed to a mercy rule right now because they've been in too many of these games and it has left them in a worse position the following day. And I guess you say, hey, that's part of baseball. That's the charm, if it is, of the 162-game season that you do have to make it through the whole marathon and you've got to play out all nine innings and that's going to affect what you can do the next day. But boy, if they could have, in theory, called this game after five innings, trailing by as much as they did, save some arms, I don't know that you would have found uh, too many guys if you gave them lie detectors in that dugout who would have had a problem with that. No, I mean, it was it was really tough to watch. And uh, it's a shame, too, because of what's happening Saturday with the retirement of Ryan Zimmerman's number 11. And, you know, that's happening before the game on Saturday. So we won't know what's going to happen in that game while Zim's number is being retired. But, you know, in the midst of just getting thrashed game after game that you have this like joyous occasion, I don't know, it's just there's a juxtaposition there that just doesn't seem right. Well, There was something good within the Nats organization on Thursday night, and that was a good outing for Cade Cavalli for AAA Rochester. Uh, Now, he only went five innings, that's true, but off having struggled in his previous start, he was good uh, in this most recent outing on Thursday night. A 3-1 win for the Rochester Red Wings at the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Cavalli in this game, one run, five innings, gave up five hits, four strikeouts, Versus one walk, he threw 80 pitches. So, you know, not dominant, but better than he was in his previous outing uh, in which he allowed four runs in five innings, issued four walks. So you take a step back. He was bad over his first seven starts for Rochester. He's now been good to varying degrees in four of the last five starts. I know there was actually some uh, some discussion, especially like on Twitter, of hmm, maybe the Nats won't even start Cavalli for Rochester on Thursday night because they might try to use him for the doubleheader against the Phillies. Nats aren't doing that. I do commend the Nats for not letting the absolute chaos and anarchy at the major league level right now governing what they're doing with Cavalli. I applaud them for that. They shouldn't do that. Cavalli's timeline should not be impacted by the trek that is taking place at the major league level and all of the pitching problems that the Nats are dealing with right now. I agree. And Mike Rizzo would say the exact same thing, just like with Luis Garcia. They will call him up when they believe he's ready for it. Now, I think we're getting closer. They want to see some consistency here. That's nice that he bounced back and had a good one. You'd like to see at least one more of them. I think in their minds, they're so consumed with, we just got to get through this week and everything going along with it. And then they finally get an off day Monday, two games in Baltimore, another off day after that. They can use that time next week to reset things. They've got some decisions to make here. Who's staying? Who's going? You know, is Jackson Tatro going to stick around or is he going to go down? Is uh, Paolo Espino going to be in the rotation? Is Evan Lee going to be in the rotation? They have to decide some things there. And I would imagine by the time they get to that point, 
Cavalli comes into the conversation. Doesn't mean he's getting called up right then, but they'll say, okay, how far away do we think he is? Because that might affect some of the other decisions they make as far as the rotation moving forward. But he keeps doing what he did on uh, Thursday night. Then he's going to be here sooner rather than later. I think we're getting closer to that point. He's just got to avoid those bad starts some consistency. I think we'll see him. And if you would do me a favor, please save me the two names of the teams that played again in that game, AAA game. The AAA Rochester Red Wings and the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Good job. I couldn't have done that one. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. That's a, that was a tongue twister. These minor league teams, they go out of their way to twist your tongue. So you got to be careful with the names. By the way, also in this game for Rochester on Thursday night, Tyler Clippard, one and a third scoreless innings, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts, ERA down to 273. I'm just making mention of that, you know, for no real reason. Yeah, but let me ask you, can you throw a 64 mile an hour slider that falls off the table and strike out Alec Bohm like A. Ray Adrianza, the new secret weapon? That's tough to do. That's tough to do. I don't know. Maybe he needs to perfect an EFIS pitch and then Clippard will be called up. I'm not sure. Uh, how that works. Uh, You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got scolded by Nick in Salt Lake. He wrote us regarding our conversation on the previous installment of the podcast about the Atlanta Braves. He says, uh, on the most recent episode following a pretty tough to stomach sweep to Atlanta, you concluded the episode with a discussion about the Nats rebuild, specifically Rizzo's and Davies' future roles. I was a bit bothered by the comparison to Atlanta now, without mentioning that the Braves also went through a rebuild fairly recently. In the 2014, 15, 16, and 17 seasons, they had losing records. That's not very good. No team is good forever. Atlanta was patient and built this amazing depth uh, that they have over time. So thank you for the email, Nick. He says some very nice things about the podcast, too. We appreciate that. I guess I would say this, and maybe we weren't clear enough about this. So yes, the Braves did have multiple consecutive losing seasons. That is true. But to me, I don't think you just count a rebuild as starting when you start losing. And I think you have to also sort of categorize rebuilds with when general managers start. The Braves didn't hire Alex Anthopoulos to run their front office until November of 2017. I don't want to say that that's when the rebuild starts, but you can have like a bunch of losing seasons they don't all make up the same rebuild because if one guy is running things and then he gets whacked and somebody else comes in, that new guy then it resets and that's when his rebuild starts. And the point with Anthopolis and the Braves is he took over and he had them back to winning sooner rather than later. Now, there uh, was somewhat of a foundation laid. I'd have to go back and look at who was drafted prior to Anthopolis getting there. But Anthopolis gets there. It's a mess, especially off what we talked about toward the end of the show, which was that scandal that the Braves dealt with. And Anthopolis has them winning. There are other examples of teams rebuilding quickly in recent MLB history. The Brewers did it with David Stearns. He did a tremendous job rebuilding Milwaukee quickly. The Giants, San Francisco was old. San Francisco looked like it was going to be bad for years. Farhan Zaidi comes in. Gabe Kapler comes in. All of a sudden, the Giants are back to being an apparent powerhouse. So it doesn't have to take four to five years. There's some good luck that's required. Okay, I understand that. But it doesn't have to be this like five-year walk in the desert. If you know what you're doing, you benefit from some good luck, you can get good again sooner rather than later. Agree with everything you said there. You know, I think we sort of reference the fact that the Braves had a little bit of a down period. Maybe it was longer than we made it sound like, and it, it probably was. I also feel like they didn't really hit rock bottom the way the Nats are right now. They were still a somewhat competitive team with some well-established players there, maybe more so than the Nats have. 
But, you know, the reader's not wrong. They did take a somewhat of a significant step back. And I think we, we were talking after we recorded the last episode, Alex Anthopoulos does not get enough credit for the job that he's done. He stepped into a mess when the former GM, John Coppolella, was banished by baseball, essentially, for his role in a, in a Latin American scandal and scouting scandal. They were in a bad place at that point. And Alex Anthopoulos, who long time ago was a Montreal Expo in their front office, uh, also ran the Blue Jays. You don't hear about him when you're discussing the best GMs in baseball. He deserves to be high on that list for what he's done culminating in a World Series last year. He's very good. He's done an excellent job. One more thing. I was thinking about this today. So when we talk about the worst Nats teams since the franchise came here, everyone always goes back to the back-to-back 100-loss teams, 2008-2009. This team right now this season is tracking toward being worse than both of those teams, if you go by winning percentage. Forget about what the records are, the winning percentages are. Does this team strike you right now as being worse than the 08-09 teams? Because that almost seems like blasphemy. Th- those teams we, we look back on as like being all-time bad teams. This team right now is tracking toward being worse, even though on paper, it doesn't feel like this team should be as bad as those teams. Does this team strike you as being the worst Nats team that we've had since the franchise came here? So I've had this conversation with a few people around here, a few of the others who've been around all that time and remember those years. And I've had a few of them suggest that they do think this one is worse, that the situation is worse. I don't know. It could be. The product they're putting out there on a nightly basis might be worse. If you look at some of those teams, I feel like they were in more competitive games. There were some exciting offensive players at times. They did not have starting pitching in 08 and 09. It was pretty wretched. But their bullpens, I think, were a little bit better. And it felt like it was a little more competitive than this. I do remember those are the years that the Phillies would march in here and just ransack them all the time with tens of thousands of their fans. That was really a low point. What I think is interesting, and we won't know the answer to this for a few more years, is the 08, 09 teams, other than Ryan Zimmerman, really didn't have anybody else who would end up being a part of them when they won in 2012. We don't know yet, but I feel like there's more opportunity for guys who are already here to be a part of it when they win. Cabert Ruiz, Josiah Gray, obviously Juan Soto, but even you know Elaine Thomas, We don't know if Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan, but they could be a part of it. You know, even as bad as he's been at times, Joanna Doan, as a young pitcher, could be going through his lumps now and ultimately prove to be somebody who can be a part of it. Obviously, Corbin's under contract, so he's around for a while longer. So I think that's the one difference in that I would say the results and the on-field product right now might be worse than it was back then, but they may actually have more pieces already in place than they did at that time to help them win. And that's why some people are trying to hold out some hope that they're not as far away from winning as it may appear that they are. Hope so. Hope so. It feels far away right now, but we know that things can change. And all we can do is hope that things change. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. We thank all of you for listening and participating in the podcast, uh, you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Doubleheader on Friday, Ryan Zimmerman Day on Saturday, and who knows what's going to be happening over these next few days. We shall see. Buckle up. This could be a bumpy ride. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. A-Ray Adrianzen, playing left field until now, will make the third pitching appearance of his career. 
Now the pitch, swing and a miss. He struck him out. 64 miles an hour. Well, he showed him everything, Dave. He showed him really slow. He showed him the deepest pitch. And then he threw one to the bottom dropped out of. I would say keep the ball, but it's his second big league strikeout. <laughs> so he doesn't need the souvenir.